0: Stay on target.
2: Stay on target. Reed Rothbard.
0: <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight is episode 157 of the show, and we're going to be talking about the Facebook movie called The Social Network, uh, which came out in 2010, and only five or six years after Facebook even launched. It's kind of a bizarre situation. But uh, David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin decided to make a movie with lots of dialogue. And so we're going to talk about it tonight. But before we introduce our guest on the last night's portion of the show, I got to introduce you to my guest on almost every show. He's only missed one. Robert Johnson, my co-host. How are you, sir?
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me back on, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be back on the show.
0: Well, uh, you're strong. We're
1: like the 69th best libertarian podcast.
0: You getting I'm up always there. always happy to be here. We're getting up there, and you are a we're strong alive. guest. So
1: it's a it's a tall tall long ladder, and uh, we're at the bottom rung. But the only direction is up. So you know, feeling good, feeling strong.
0: Yeah, and we're incrementally making uh, improvements as we go along. And you have Do been, we? I think so, I think so. Okay. We're we're getting a little bit of notoriety. We've got uh, some amazing guests in our in our lineup, uh, awesome. and an amazing guest tonight who we'll introduce in just a moment. But I did want to check in with you on your entrepreneurial venture as we're discussing an entre- yeah. entrepreneurial movie tonight. What's the latest? Oh, are we
1: the latest? Did you just ask me what the latest was, Daniel?
0: I did. What is the latest?
1: Okay. So the latest is we finished the signs today. And let me tell you, we decided not to just buy some signs. We decided we were going to make some signs. And the budget quickly ballooned. So we quickly ballooned kind of like how we were talking about Tom Hanks in Castaway with division of labor, how you can just hire somebody to make a sign who's already gone through the trial and error of making signs, and is pretty dang good at it at this point. Instead, we were like, no, 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 no. no. We're gonna buy a bunch of materials and we're gonna make some signs. And the first one kind of turned out a little bit wonky, as it does, you know, you're learning. By the time you're done, you've learned a few things and a few tricks, but just imagine you could have hired somebody who's done that a thousand times and is like this, the master sign maker and can do it quick, quicker and better than you can for less money than you because we put probably $300 in materials plus like a thousand in labor to make these signs. And as soon as we put them into practice, they're already getting beat up and the paint's chipping off and, and we're already having to do touch-ups. And today, we sprayed on this lacquer finish that we're hoping will hold them together you know, for a while before we have to do more repairs. So it's all a learning experience, but another reason to understand how how important division of labor is in uh, the world of economics.
0: That is, uh, that's almost a parable level. That's pretty good. I think that that's a very important lesson to learn, and it's very early on in your business venture. So perhaps you can take that Lesson and apply it to future situations.
2: It almost, uh, it almost sounds like a sign.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, our guest chiming in early with with the uh, quips and the quotes. It's great. All right. Well, you know what? Let's introduce him uh, right after this. everyone. It's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson. The Last Nighters and Last Nighters can be found on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at launchpadmedia.com. Tonight is episode 100 of the show, and we're talking about The Social Network tonight. It's a David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin movie. And uh, last week was a Thanksgiving episode where we celebrated the spirit of giving, talking about Tom Hanks and Castaway. This week, we're going to celebrate the spirit of entrepreneurship by discussing The Social Network with an entrepreneur. This promises to be a fun discussion. Right, right, guest. It's going to be a good one. Uh, talking about something that has since been ubiquitous, become ubiquitous in so many of our daily lives. The Facebook. Our guest is Miguel Duque. He's been a voluntarist since twenty twelve after discovering libertarian philosophy through the Ron Paul Revolution. Today, he is a business coach with MAPS Business Coaching. There's a website for that, mymapscoach.com. We'll have that on our show notes page. He offers weekly one-on-one coaching for business owners and entrepreneurs across all industries, and he created a free online community called Amagi Entrepreneurs at amagi.group. It's a coaching community for liberty-minded innovators, creatives, and change makers. Miguel's personal life's mission is to, quote, to lay the foundations for a voluntary, peaceful world through leadership, philosophy, and love, end quote. He lives in Bellevue, Washington, right down the road from me and uh, across the mountains from Robert with his wife, Jamie. That's my wife's name as well. And three cats. Uh, I have two cats, a dog, two kids, and a Jamie myself. Uh, Miguel, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. And is there anything you'd like to uh, let our listeners know that isn't
2: included here? Uh, say hello to uh, the Last Nighter's audience. Hey, hello, everybody. And and hey, guys, it's, it's a huge pleasure to be on. I mean, it's a surprise um honor to be on your hundredth episode, which I had no clue this was going to be. And um that's certainly exciting and congrats to you. And uh no, I mean that's 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 the long and the short of uh what I'm all about. And uh, I guess just kind of one of the most recent developments was just today, uh at least at the time of recording here, I uh had a conversation with Michael Heiss, who is the founder of the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. Uh, which is doing some pretty big things to take over the Libertarian Party and continue the Ron Paul revolution uh, through the LP. And uh, I'll be uh, just an additional uh, volunteer organizer here in the state of Washington for the LP Muses Caucus, because I'm pretty excited about what uh, what the, the LPMC is doing. So that's just another thing that I got into recently. All right, very good. Another thing to add to the plate
0: um, and uh, second helping, as it were. And, and I know we're recording this technically before Thanksgiving, but this will come out after Thanksgiving and everyone will hopefully have uh, stuffed themselves to the gills and then laid on the couch moaning and groaning as they're digesting and watching the Detroit Lions probably lose a football game. Um, But I I also want to mention that a lot of the uh, Black Friday deals that we mentioned on the last episode are probably still going on uh, throughout the whole weekend, all the way through Cyber Monday. So if you do catch it in time, go to lastnighters.com slash Friday and you will find all the deals we've got um, we've got Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. We've got links to Bluehost. There's links to teachable.com. It's a platform to make uh, courses that you can sell. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff. We'll have five or six things on there and, and perhaps some bonuses. Uh, so check that out at lastnarrows.com slash Friday. And uh, speaking of thanking everyone, we want to thank all you guys and our guests. And uh, we will get started on this via the Google description. Um, and this is uh, came out in 2010. Drama history, two hours and one minutes. PG-13, they actually had to scale it back from an R uh, for a wider appeal. came out, um, like I said, 2010. uh, 7.7 on the IMDb, 96% Rotten Tomatoes, 95% Metacritic, and 92% of Google users like it. The description reads, in 2003, Harvard undergrad and computer genius, Mark Zuckerberg, played by Lex Luthor, begins work on a new concept that eventually turns into the global social network known as Facebook. Six years later... He is one of the youngest billionaires ever, but Zuckerberg finds that his unprecedented success leads to both personal and legal complications when he ends up on the receiving end of two lawsuits, one involving his former friend Spider-Man, based on the book, quote, The Accidental Billionaires, uh, release date October 1st, 2010, director David Fincher, screenplay, obviously Aaron Sorkin with all of the wordplay. Uh, this is the only role that Jesse Eisenberg has portrayed where he became uh, Academy nominated, and that's playing uh zuck the flip-flop wearing fuck uh so uh robert let's get your take on the google description and uh uh anything that i've said so far then we will go to our guest miguel
1: well first off um sorkin the script by sorkin is very very apparent um it's 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 one of those scripts where everybody is super clever far more clever than they ever are in real life where everybody just says the perfect witticism in response to the other person's dumb comment or what have you. It's this. And so it's fun to listen to. It's fun to watch, but it comes off as very, okay, this is a screenwriter kind of masturbating himself, but it's fine. I mean, I enjoy that sort of dialogue. It makes the characters come off. as just, you know, super, super intelligent, which I'm sure they are. But nobody's that witty and clever in real life. And not everybody in the stinking movie is that witty and clever in real life. Even though we are talking about like Harvard level quality type people, I just, it came off as a little bit much for me, a little bit hyper realistic, but that's, that's fine. It's, it, it's still very entertaining. But for me, this movie comes down to like an alternate title, if you could call it. And that would be like the crimes of Mark Zuckerberg. What is he guilty of? Because that I'm seems right. like what this movie Seems to be asking the question of, or posing the question. And I can think of four things that he's kind of on trial for. One is being smart. He's obviously guilty of that. Two, being a huge nerd. He's obviously guilty of that. Three, guilty. Is he guilty of being a complete and total asshole? Yes, he's guilty of being a total asshole. And then four, is he guilty of IP theft? And I think that is a very interesting question. I think um, Zuck himself answers it in the film when he talks about a chair builder where, you know, does a guy who makes a really good chair, Is he does he owe royalties to everybody else who's made a chair or the inventor of chairs? I think he, he makes a good point there. So I think that's the the main crux that I saw. But it'll be fun to talk about this movie. Um, there's all kinds of fun little little avenues we could go down.
0: Yeah, I agree. And uh, I'll just make one quick comment. And we'll go to Miguel. And that is uh, the Sorkin language. It's it's very obvious. As you said, uh, he was a writer for the West Wing as well. And it reminded me of uh, Kevin Smith's writing in Clerks and Mallrats yeah. and, and such, where everyone is very quick witted and, and always has something kind of funny to say. Um, and also, and I'm going to get turning my man card again on this one. Gilmore Girls, very similar. Just this uh, very quick, lots of dialogue very fast yeah i wouldn't
1: know daniel haven't seen that one
0: yeah i know you have no idea no idea but just uh you know take it as um clerks or mall rats but in a uh moderately successful uh girl bonding uh television series (laughs) so uh yay yeah i know i know
2: all right well let's move on to sex in the city um uh, i wouldn't know because i've never seen that show but i hear it had really good writing it could be. I'd have to ask my wife on that one. She used to own the uh, the DVD set, but I've never. Uh, I'm, I'm facetious anyway.
0: <laughs> never watched it. All right, so let's get uh, Miguel. Uh, you can tag team in on this.
2: Uh, your take on well anything thus far, including the Google description. Uh, you know, I felt like the Google description was uh, pretty pretty basic. Um, not really making any real value judgments. You know, about the story itself. It kind of just says he encounters personal and legal challenges, like, wow, how, how riveting, um, you know, the, the story itself is, I mean, a lot, I would say is a lot more clear cut in, uh, the narrative or the the type of, um, moral, um, light that it basically casts the Zuck into. Um, interesting observation. Yeah, it's, it's a, that was a good point about the, uh, about the language, about the script and the type of dialogue that's there. I mean, cause, Yeah. If you think about it, I mean, even with these Ivy league students and stuff, Mark Zuckerberg is pretty universally described as like kind of an awkward quiet guy. So, you know, he may or may not really have all these super clever quips just, you know, locked and ready at every, every opportunity. Um, Probably, you know, a a lot in reality is, is just a lot more uh, sort of awkward. Well, um, what are their observations? Yeah. I I definitely felt like, in re-watching this movie, which I don't think I had seen into, uh, since it had it was released back in 2010, uh, watching it in preparation for this show, I was thinking, wow, there's a lot of good meaty stuff in here to talk about with regard to, well, libertarian philosophy, and you might just say philosophy in general, of right and wrong, and you know what did he do that specifically was unethical, and why, and um, definitely we could get into the IP law aspect of it, so there's all kinds of interesting commentary to be made. I think just in general, my takeaway was, uh, well, you could tell that this was just a really highly dramatized story um, for the sake of making a Hollywood film, right? Though if there was even half of, uh, you know, if it was half true, uh, I just I was left with the sense of, you know, Zuck being um, pretty clearly, I mean, just a very mean-spirited, uh, unethical person. And uh, I mean, that's again just based on the story that they're telling, which undoubtedly is not 100% true because it's a dramatized film. Though I'm just saying, if to the extent to which these stories are true, you know, it really shows him being almost like a sociopathic, very elitist, uh, very, very manipulative and dishonest individual. Um, and, um, you know, it just goes to show everything that Facebook has, has come to be today. If those were truly its origins and and uh, that those are the type of people that are involved you know that were involved in the birthing of Facebook. well, it's kind of no surprise that today it's this massive superpower of social engineering and censorship and you know cronyism and mass surveillance and you name it, I mean just practically thought control institution. Uh, uh, you know more or less out of the private sector however, extremely embedded with uh, the, you know, Mordor, Washington DC, uh, you know, machine. And um, so, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm apt to believe a lot of these negative things about Zuck, even if a lot of them might be dramatized. I did watch a YouTube video where he responded to basically a question of, hey, is this story true? And he basically said, oh, come on, it's a Hollywood film. Uh, for example, I never had a girlfriend Uh, that dumped me, like in the beginning of the movie, I actually have been dating the same person since before I created Facebook. So it's like, really? Okay. That's, that's, that's the only example that he cited about the story being untrue. And um, I think that clearly they'll, they'll want to deny most of it. You know, when in reality, it's probably a lot of it's, you know, has probably a lot of, a lot of basis in the truth. Yeah. um, Yeah.
1: yeah, I'll have to agree with that. Although it seemed to be written from the perspective of the people who felt that they were wrong, right? Like uh, Wardo, Wardo and the uh, Winklevoss guys. It seemed to be that those were the guys that seemed to I mean they all signed NDAs as I assume, or at least the Winklevosses did. I don't know if Wardo did, but um, I mean I don't know how the book was written, but it seemed to be that you know Zuckerberg was like the villain of the piece. And then Wardo was the the kind of sort of hero. I don't know. I don't, I, maybe he's the victim of the piece. Did you get that feeling in the in that? It just it didn't seem like it was a strict. I mean, obviously it was dramatized, but it didn't seem like it was neutrally telling the story.
0: I'll, I'll agree with you, Robert. And honestly, I, I had trouble actually following the story just because there was so much dialogue and so much detail. And as an example, the uh, the breakup scene at the very beginning. It was eight pages of script, and it took ninety nine takes to get it. Um, I read that they shot over 240 hours of footage for this movie for a two hour movie. So, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff and a lot of takes. And I think that the basics are, as you said, you know, it's Zuckerberg kind of on trial for several crimes. Right. And I think that the biggest ones are that, yeah, he was kind of a dick to these people. Um, but he was also the kind of dick who was able to make things happen that the others were not. And so you almost needed him to do what he did and probably even in the manner he did it to make it as successful as it was. And then at the end of the day, they all got paid out. So, you know, they got made more than whole, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, I
1: felt like in this, in this film, you know, I, I kept saying to myself as I was watching it, you know, there was an easier, a nicer way to say that, but you're not wrong. (laughs) When, When Zuckerberg would say something, it was like, you're an asshole, but you're right like a bunch of time almost every single time like when they were debating on whether to you know sell ads on Facebook or not whether you know he you know, he wanted to keep it cool and ad free and they were going to make their money a different way it was definitely the right way to go in terms of growing the business
2: yeah you know i would go back and qualify all those statements that i just made with just the added commentary that that um my overall takeaway from the film was all those things about about his unethical sort of uh, uh, behavior, as well as, well, there's no denying that he is an extremely talented and skilled entrepreneur at uh, taking an idea and and creating an even bigger vision for it and uh, having the know-how and the tenacity to go and make it into reality, to actually code it, to actually create it, and to actually accurately predict what the customers and the consumers want. Um, to To really be able to truly see what the gaps are, what the opportunities are in the market to make a product that is unlike any other or that really hasn't been made before. His very first questions when he was meeting privately with the Winklevoss twins was, his very first question was, great, what makes this different from MySpace and Friendster? Because they really weren't describing anything that was any different. And, and, and then they got into the uh, elements of it that were exclusive because you had to have a harvard.edu um, uh, harvard.edu email address and so that makes it exclusive because harvard girls only want to you know get with harvard guys, obviously and so on and so forth and they had this very small vision for it that oh this is going to be a uh, the facebook which is actually what they called it there at harvard all these different little um, <clears throat> i guess it was dorms or clubs or whatever had a had a old school early internet system that they called their facebook and, and each uh, had their own,
0: their own setup, their own server, right?
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and so speaking of which it, part of what is depicted in the film is Zuck hacking into all of these private databases, which whatever you want to say about IP, I think just stealing private information, um, you know, he justifies it in the film as, oh, well, you should be thanking me because I just poked all these holes in your security. However, he's really, you know, um, uh manipulating and kind of violating the privacy of these databases and um anyhow to go back wh- to where I was where I was getting at was that um you know he saw a much bigger vision for what this social network could be uh than the Winklevoss twins originally even saw because they wanted it to just be harvard and then and then boom, you know Zuck goes and takes it to all the other Ivy League schools and then he gets involved with with um that guy Sean Parker, who founded, um, you know, founded, Napster. uh, uh, Napster. Yeah. And I had to, I laughed because I totally forgot that Justin Timberlake was in this movie until he just suddenly showed up. And there was, Oh, I said, Oh my God, it's Justin Timberlake. And he did such a good job. I think playing this character, Sean Parker, this, uh, sort of very troubled, um, dot com bubble, uh, uh, entrepreneur who, you know, has all these drug problems and, problems with partying and stuff, and also all these legal problems, all these lawsuits and filing bankruptcy and stuff. And yet he's still at it, spending a lot of money, having this really flashy um uh Silicon Valley lifestyle that goes and takes even see, even Zuck was thinking small <clears throat> when he was just thinking exclusive to Ivy League schools, then he gets involved with Sean Parker, who says, no, dude. This is, we're not talking a million, we're talking a billion dollar company and we're talking global worldwide and I can get you in two continents. And so that goes to show that um, that there's more to having, you know, just an idea. It's thinking really big about it and then being willing to, being the person who's willing to put in the work to actually make it happen while other people are just sit or, sitting around theorizing or dreaming about it instead of actually building it. Yeah, right. Those, those, or something
1: up with reasons to not do it. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Now, I I, I want to direct a question
0: to you uh, regarding to the entrepreneurship, Miguel, and that is it seemed that Zuckerberg was keying in on the concept of exclusivity, which, um, as an aside, because you've accepted me into your Magi Entrepreneurs Group, um, it's obviously not exclusive. And I think Groucho Marx said, I'd never be willing to join a club that would be willing to have me as a member. But I'm in your club and it's good. I, I do enjoy it. Um, but I digress. Uh but do you think that he was just viewing the exclusivity as the thing to make it unique and desirable, but only using it in in like as a vehicle to get to a certain point until there was sufficient adoption to basically engage the network effect? Because when I became aware of of uh, Facebook, probably two thousand five, two thousand six, something like that, you know, then you could just join as anybody. But as this movie depicts. Originally it was Harvard, then it was Ivy League schools, then it was like other schools, and it's no longer the case. And and also the whole ad revenue thing is now, of course, ad revenue is their big thing. And uh, I would say to that is that it's an amazing tool for marketers bringing solutions, products, and services to very specifically targeted people who would benefit from those things. And I think that's an amazing uh, feature of Facebook, uh, one of the best features of Facebook, other than being able to communicate with friends and family or debate with jackasses on the internet. Um, there's of course scary stuff that you alluded to at the very open, um, and I, I we can go down that path talking about Sesame Credit in China and, and all those things. Um, but let's round it back to my question: Do you think that the exclusivity was just a vehicle that Zuck recognized to get it to a certain point before he would b- basically, you know, be at a, be where? Uh, it was sufficiently like on its own 2 feet.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that in the way it's depicted in the film and the way that I saw it, the way that I interpreted Zuck and the Winklevoss entrepreneurial thought process was that the exclusivity was one of the major maybe not the only, though certainly one of the major most important differentiating factors like they said girls want to get with guys who go to Harvard. Um and to be on this platform, you have to be at Harvard. You have to have a harvard.edu email address. That was the exclusivity aspect of it. And then, you know, they did recognize the utility of this platform for dating purposes, for, you know, finding a romantic partner. And I think that Zuck went and took it further than that when he had that, you know, at least in the film, he was chatting with some guy who was asking him. Hey, do you know so and so who's in your computer lab class? And do you know if she's dating anybody? And do you know if blah blah blah? And he's like, I don't know. People don't walk around with a sign that. And then he goes, it's like, oh my god, I have to code this to where everybody can publicly display their relationship status and what, well, what you know, who they're into, what what genders of people they're into. Um, And uh, so that turned out to be another differentiating factor. In addition to when he was building the thing, he talks about, you know, it has to be clean. It has to to be simple and kind of almost minimalist in design. So I think that the UI, the user interface aspects of it were another one of the key differentiating factors. Once he had all those three things combined, he was ready to launch it. That was his minimum viable product. And that was the infancy of Facebook where you see over the course of the, the history of Facebook, you can see it as they've managed to successfully pivot a number of times in a number of ways, where originally they saw their customer is the user and their product is the uh, user interface, the platform where where people post and they see stuff. Uh, Nowadays, users are actually Facebook's product that they sell to people who want the attention of Facebook users. So, and the data for that matter on an even bigger level where we're talking now on the in, in terms of thinking big entrepreneurially, if we look at macroeconomic trends, there's a term being used these days that's called the fourth industrial revolution. Have, have you guys had by chance come across that term?
1: Not myself.
2: It's pretty fascinating. Um, the first three industrial revolutions were first, there was the loom and basically like you know uh farming technology like that was the first industrial revolution and then second was steam power and um you know steam power created all these other capabilities of locomotives and you know ships and and you know steel ships and stuff like that that was the second industrial revolution and then the third rev- third industrial revolution uh you know i might mess this one up um might be i mean i don't know the computer chip or something like that anyhow i digress uh, well the fourth industrial revolution is described as being sparked by uh, by data, big data, and artificial intelligence, and so it's something that we're in the midst of. It's not like something that we can look back at history and say that was the fourth industrial revolution. It's almost like instead, it's something we're talking about in the context of it's happening right now, and we're on the we're in the onset of it of the fourth industrial revolution. We're talking that big on that scale of industrial revolutions that have happened over the course of the last the last um, however many thousand years so major stuff and nowadays facebook and all the big tech companies their actual product or their 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 asset is their data and data is being described as almost like the new crude oil which you know they're accumulating all this massive amounts of data to the point where eventually as the machine learning capabilities Increase of their artificial artificial intelligence um, uh, artificial intelligence uh, engines increase those artificial intelligence uh, machine learning uh, capabilities will be able to derive insights proprietary insights from all this massive uh, cache of data. So, for example, if we had artificial intelligence combing through the last ten years that you have been on Facebook generating data for Facebook they would probably know you better. The artificial intelligence would know you better as a person than probably most of the people that you know in real life. And um, that's what kind of, that's to me, that's like, that's what I see when I think of the fourth industrial revolution is that all the big tech companies are hoarding data and their, their AI is still in the early stages. However, they're gonna be able to do unfathomable things once they have more advanced artificial intelligence combined with all the data that they have. So, but yeah, in the, in the beginning, the minimum viable product was the exclusivity, the UI, and the, also the lack of advertisements. Like that was something that was repeated, uh, uh, several times was Facebook is cool. And if we have ads, then it's no longer going to be cool. So those were some of the things that made it so different from, from everything else that, that was available up until then. So
0: does that mean it's no longer cool? I'll direct that to Robert.
2: Yeah, it's definitely not cool. It's used by soccer moms
1: and people out in the boonies to connect with other people. I'm using it in my business as it's it's the premier social media networking site to disseminate information out here because everything else sucks or is too slow. And it's just everything. Everybody's on it. So, I mean, young people aren't so much. So the, then it's definitely not cool. I mean, if your mom's into it.
0: Okay, boomer.
1: Lame, lame, super lame. Exactly.
2: You, you beat me to it. I was going to say that uh, uh, just to also be facetious, that basically Facebook is used now by boomers and people who want to say, okay, boomer to the boomers. Right, and Epstein didn't um, kill himself. Yes, that <laughs> that too.
0: Well, and, now, guys, I know I know that some people kind of rile,
1: get riled up or, you know, wrinkle their noses at the idea of Facebook selling their data but this is something that everybody voluntarily gives to Facebook so i mean where where does this indignation or upset feelings come from when i mean it's like you're you're doing it you're you're offering up all this information you're it giving it to somebody you're giving it away and then they turn around and make a profit off of it well aren't they just being good entrepreneurs
2: I would say that the negative feelings come from um, well, similarly to how Zuck is depicted in this movie, is that that okay? He may not have stolen intellectual property from the the Winklevoss twins outright. Not that they they didn't seem to have gotten any patents or anything like that for their idea. I think what it was was Zuck being dishonest in his dealings that. The Winklevoss twins, there's still something to be said about common law and common understanding and, and terms when you are engaging in voluntary interactions with people that there are unspoken and un sort of unstated um, norms that are adhered to that basically the Winklevoss twins would not have given him all this information about their idea had he not dishonestly led them to believe that he was in fact going to partner with them and so it was only it was only then that they disclosed all of these intricate details of what they were attempting to build while he stalled and stalled and stalled and built it for himself that, that was dishonest i mean there's no i mean if to the extent that that's true i'd say that that it'd be hard to argue that that was not um that did not involve involve uh, uh, a sort of um an intricate series of lies and distortions of the truth.
1: Yeah. So you're uh, saying that Zuckerberg is definitely guilty of fraud at some level.
2: Yeah. I think that uh, just based on what the movie depicts is that he, he committed fraud on multiple levels, you know, including to his other friend who, or, or, or supposed friend, uh, uh, Wardo who he got to sign those documents without him, you know, understanding what those, and yes, it was Wardo's responsibility to like, you know, he says in the film, I thought they were my lawyers, well, that was foolish. And in reality, that's probably not how it went down. Because, you know, any p- person with a basic understanding of business ought to know that that's the sort of thing you need to hire your own lawyers to review. So not to say that it wasn't Wardo's responsibility to know what he was signing, simply that um, that was very clearly, you know, an example of dishonest dealings on, uh, you know, n- not being forthcoming you know, with 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 crucial information on yeah. Zuck's part.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, for the Winklevoss one, um, I, I think that their case is a little bit iffy. Uh, and the really easy way around that would have been for Zuck to just build what they had asked for in the two weeks or whatever, and then do his own thing and build a better mousetrap. And then it would have been a non-issue. He would have just out-competed them on something that's far better and far different than what they had wanted. And had he not been dishonest and put them off and put them off, Cause really all they had was a kernel of an idea and you know, what he actually created was far advanced, far beyond that with Eduardo, that was a dishonest bullshit thing for sure. And I think Eduardo's point was, well, if he owns a third of the company, then those guys, those lawyers are working for him. They're his lawyers. It's his company, right? So I don't blame him for signing that. I mean, it was like what five or six documents, you know, and, and in legalese, I mean, you, you, that's what you need a lawyer for is the interpretation, right? To be able to put it into plain English. Um, but
2: uh, yeah, I think so, that, that that's w- a very, uh, I think that's a probably a pretty basic uh, component of merger and acquisition uh, legal language is regarding dilution of the shares. And he just didn't even bother to look at that. Though it's a very good point that you make that uh, those lawyers really should have been representing him right and
0: and i think they were derelict in their duty because they knew they planted that poison pill in that document. yeah they
2: were they were chosen those those lawyers were hired because they were corrupt and they were willing to knowingly uh have a person sign something that is different from from what they understood it to be right yeah it was definitely not in good faith and so i think
0: that that signature that signing is totally null and void as a result of it because there was no mutual understanding
2: I don't know that I could go that far, but then again, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. I, I can't say that. Right. Well, yeah, I
1: can't go so far as to say it's completely null and void, but because I do think that Wardo had personal responsibility to understand what he was signing. I mean, I, I get your point about the lawyers working for him and him believing they were working for him, but I mean, to what level did he know these guys? To what level did he trust them? Did he Was he part of the hiring process of these lawyer guys, or did he just come up and oh, you guys work for the company. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. I don't know. That's I, again, I, I do agree that he had a responsibility to get the stuff looked over by his own lawyers that, you know, to ensure that he really understood every single term that was in the, in that paperwork. Uh, at the same time, we're just talking about, a lot of times, honestly, good moral philosophy comes from what is common sense and what, because common law pretty much, uh, emerges out of common sense morality. And I think the common sense moral compass of most people would say, that's bullshit, you know, that uh, he was misled. He was purposefully, um, you know, that's basically that's fraud. I mean, that's, that's my, that's my take on it, you know? <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. And I'll, I'll agree. And, 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 uh, they all knew what they were up to. So they were yeah. purposefully deceiving him. So I, I give Eduardo far more of a case than, uh, than the Winklevosses though. I mean, they all got paid as a result. And, it's because Zuckerberg was able to create the behemoth out of those miscellaneous parts. That even just paying them off, I think um, Rashida Jones's character said, "It's like paying a speeding ticket." You know, they're getting millions of dollars, uh, so they're, you're gonna make them happy, right? After kind of traumatizing them a bit here, um, but you're making billions of dollars. So you know, at the end of the day, this is destroying you know personal relationships and making you come off as a prick, but, uh, it's really not that big of a thing. Like you, you've grown things big enough to be able to absorb these kinds of, of costs. And and this kind of behavior is sort of in a way tolerated because he was so successful in other ways. And it reminds me of, um, you know, there've been stories about Bill Gates and, uh, taking the mouse concept from Apple, uh, way back when, or no, was it from Xerox maybe like a a copier something like that. That's where the mouse kind of came from. Um, and then the window Oh, and the windows interface. Does this sound familiar to you at, at all, Robert, that, that these ideas kind of, it's like the rap game, you know, you, you take some snippets from old songs and mix them together and you create a new song. Our our common guest, uh, Mike C, he does this with songs all the time. Um, he can't post them on YouTube because they'll get hit with copyright strikes, but they're really good stuff, but it's a mishmash of, um, you know, other things. And I think it's art. And, and I think that IP is not a uh, legitimate thing. It's not a, an actual tangible property, though I think you know, fraud uh, and and being dishonest, uh, those those things are enforceable actions that um, would handle those types of situations. Um, I'll go to Robert for comment.
1: Yeah, what is the origin of an idea? There are it, there are infinite influences on any given idea, realized or unrealized. You may see something at some point, and that might inspire you to make an, a completely different thing. I mean, do you owe some sort of Restitution to the creator of that one first thing. Uh, if if we did, then we the economy would never grow. It would be a complete grind. Everything to a halt. We'd we spend all our time figuring out who was owed what by whom for what reason at what time. It, it would it'd be ridiculous. Uh, once an idea is out there, it becomes common, and everybody can use it to the best of their ability to create what they desire to create. I, uh, yeah, IP th- IP law, all it does is it's protectionism for, you know, it, it's, it's, I understand the desire for it. You want to get your credit for what you see as your idea and your creation. And you want to protect the, the value of it, but all it does is, uh, yeah, limit the choices of uh, what can be created. So yeah, the the origin of an idea, I mean, it's impossible to tell. I mean, sometimes you can point at one thing and say, oh, well, you clearly ripped this off, this idea off from this guy because, or whatever. But even then, I'm not even so sure. I mean, uh, Vanilla Ice took under pressure. Did he completely rip it off? I, I think it's perfectly fine, honestly. And you are a no, big we fan of I... Ice Ice Baby. Are you kidding me? We <laughs> you... can't have a world that Ice Ice Baby. I agree. I agree.
2: Yeah, if I had not already, um, if I would not already made it clear, I'm also in the camp of IP is not a real thing. IP, uh, intellectual property is not property, like information and ideas and data is not really property per se. You know, there are the physical components of it. And also, but the, the, main, the main issue at hand is under normal circumstances, in terms of the voluntary agreements that were in place, whether they were explicit or implied between the Winklevoss twins and the Zuck, Under normal circumstances, uh, the Winklevoss twins were expecting Zuck not to go and disclose this idea to other parties and not to compete with them in building a competing project. And that's something that is a voluntary agreement that is commonly made in business that you have people agree to a non disclosure and to a non compete that, hey, you're gonna work for us. You have to agree that you're just not gonna, you're not gonna just leave. And then go to a competing company, um, and people people very routinely form those voluntary agreements in business. Uh, so I think that in this case, that was more or less more or less implied, though it was very reckless of the Winklevoss twins to have to have blabbed so much about this idea of theirs to someone who hadn't signed anything with them and made a very loose commitment to work with them, from what it seemed like. Yeah,
0: you know the other side of it is, and and I know it's hard to really uh, conceive of a world of the counterfactual, but it seems to me that with the improvements in technology and and networks and interconnectedness, that a Facebook type thing was an inevitable thing. Like it would eventually happen, whether it wasn't Facebook, maybe MySpace would have figured out how to keep people on that platform or whatever, or uh, be able to grow it and it become basically what Facebook is now. So I don't even know if the idea itself is like all that groundbreaking, it it was going to get discovered. It was just a matter of time and a matter of, uh, I guess who, and it happened to be, you know, Zuckerberg and and as portrayed in this film, um, him kind of being a prick and, uh, screwing people over, but.
2: Yeah. Well, that was a big aspect of it that, like you said, maybe it would have been more honest for Zuckerberg to make the, to make the Winklevoss twins, what they wanted, that little small platform, their little inkling of an idea and then gone off and done his way bigger, better thing. However, like they said in the movie, being first is everything. Like the Winklevoss twins had that one guy that hung around with them. I forget his name who said, do you, you know, in business and in technology being first is everything. And their response was, Hey, you know, we row crew, you know, we race, uh, for a living. You don't have to tell us that you don't have to, you don't have to lecture us about the importance of being first. And I think that that's, That was part of what probably motivated Zuckerberg to do that, to act in that way that was a little bit dishonest and go and build his thing so that he could be the first.
0: You know, I've heard a saying that's related to this. It's um, uh, pioneers get shot, settlers get rich. So it's not necessarily that you're the first. You let the first ones take the arrows and you figure out where they failed and fell down. And then you build a better mousetrap.
1: Well, I'm curious because obviously this wasn't like an... like brand new idea. Like, here, Friendster and MySpace were already a thing, and they weren't. You know, obviously, he innovated off of those ideas. But how much different was Facebook from those things? Like, obviously, the relationship status and probably a few other things. I, I guess
0: with the originally being as exclusive thing. I, I remember having relationship status on a MySpace back in the day. Yeah, you we, can uh, still do that. I'm sure, we, right?
2: Facebook or... though or after.
0: Well, it would have been in probably 2004 or 5 before I even had a Facebook.
1: So, you were on a FriendSpace or a MySpace or a Friendster.
2: That happened to be when this film was taking place. Well, that this this film was actually taking place in 2003. Um, so I'm sure that it was in very short time that MySpace and other platforms followed suit with the relationship status. Though, at least as far as the film goes, kind of depicts Facebook being the first to to major platform to do that. And, and it was it was combined with other differentiating factors, the exclusivity of you had to be, you had to be at Harvard or you had to be at one of these Ivy League schools or you had to be eventually it was you have to be in college. For a little while it was you have to be in college. And then eventually it was actually anybody can be in Facebook as long as you're over 18 or whatever it was. And then then it was oh you have to be over 16 or something like that. And also it was the UI aspects of it, that it was clean, minimalist, sort of, a, it, was a, it was a type of user interface that appealed to a certain type of people that were the target audience, these, these college kids and cool people.
0: Right. And it was more um, dynamic as well. I think that's one of the things that stood out because I recall MySpace was like, you had a page and other people had a page and you could go see their page or post things on your own page, but there wasn't this hallway or this like common area which is kind of like the news feed now or whatever. Yeah. So, so you would see different things kind of popping up and happening. So it kind of created a more of a nexus or more of an interchange. Uh, what do they call it? Like a clearinghouse or a cross docking situation. I think yeah, that was, that was maybe the, one of the key differences.
2: Yeah. The friending, they They pointed out the friending aspect of it too, that it's exclusive in the sense of somebody has to friend you or accept your friend request. Otherwise you're not going to see their stuff and vice versa. And so that made it, that added an, an element of exclusivity, where suddenly that was the way to get in touch with someone is, hey, friend me or Facebook me,
1: right? And that came at the time when, you know, there was a critical mass where like, you know, with the adoption of anything, like the adoption of a, a currency, like how it was going to figure out whether we're what kind of currency we're going to use. Well, mm-hmm. Facebook got to be a certain size so big, so that, you know, if you were going to talk to somebody, yeah, you had to get on Facebook because this this is just what everybody was doing.
0: Yeah. The old network effect. Um, I remember the first time I heard about Facebook, it was a girl who, uh, I knew and she told me about it and she was telling me that she'd put all this information on there. I'm like, are you sure you want all that information out there? (laughs) You know, like her birthday and like full name, where she was born, where she lives, all this stuff. And it seemed really odd to me.
2: Robert's point about people voluntarily giving this information there's no doubt that that's foolish and I will perfectly admit that that I'm it's probably very foolish of me to uh, to divulge so much information that could be used against me or used to commit identity theft or other types of crimes or simply to be used by the thought control establishment whatever um, to Harm me. Um, however, it's kind of to the point where it's really sad because it's either that or you practically don't exist to a large percentage of the population um, that that's where they interact with people socially. And if you're not on there and divulging a lot of this information, then you are, well, you you're, you're just not part of the world for a lot of people, if that makes any sense. So
1: yeah, that's certainly true. There's definitely the feeling you get when you're on Facebook. And for me specifically, someone who has had an account forever, I don't know, forever, but at least seven, eight years, but has only started using it on a routinely routine basis because it's my job. But now I'm seeing all this interaction between all these people, whereas before I was essentially a non-person. So, yeah, I can see your point.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of scary to think about you know, where it's going to go. Like, Miguel, you were talking about this fourth industrial revolution with the uh, big data and the AI and the algorithms, um, m- machine learning and all this stuff. But it's also, you mix that in with what we're seeing with um, the First Amendment and editorializing and, and banning people or uh, throttling things or um, putting little disclaimers down below posts saying, well, this has been debunked by Snopes. You know, you're starting to see the crafting of thought and the manipulation of ideas. And uh, we're just probably a few years behind what um, they're doing in China. I mentioned it earlier, the um, Sesame Credit, which is a similar social network. But instead of like a credit score, you get a citizenship score. It's how good of a government, you know, drone are you and your score is dependent on the people in your network score. So there's if somebody is a dissident or is a bad citizen, they're going to drag your score down. So you're incentivized to uh ostracize them it's it's a it's it's scary you know brave new world shit that yeah. it seems to be going down the road towards and then they've got zuckerberg in front of um congress the last couple of years you know uh famously last year where he looked like um data from star trek uh he absolutely he, he no, like- no emotion like- <laughs> whatsoever and then he was uh, recently in front of um aoc telling her about the first amendment and she 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 said some crazy, stupid shit, of course. Um, but she wants, uh, like them to prevent people from lying or something. And it's like, well, okay, well, why don't we start with you? <laughs> but, uh, anyway, take it away, Miguel.
2: Well, uh, of course it just has to be said that, uh, you know, we, we have to eat the babies. <laughs> did you see that video? That mm-hmm. video?
1: Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right, well, right. well placed.
2: Another thing on that note. Yeah. did. Did you guys, um, see that episode of black mirror? that pretty much was what you just described about the social credit scores?
1: No, I haven't seen any uh, Black Mirror episodes. We did, uh, what you call it, the choose-your-own-adventure movie. Yeah, the Bandersnatch. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. well, no, no, we haven't watched the series so. itself.
0: Yeah, I did they, watch that one, I think. Um, the, all of the episodes are kind of standalone, mm-hmm. and so my wife and I didn't really get into it. We, we watched maybe two or three episodes, and I believe one of them, if I recall, if this is the one, it was the guy who, um, well, there were, there were two that were... Sort of like that, I think, where um, there was like this training center people were in and they were getting scores and and, uh, they were like riding like stationary bikes and in this virtual environment kind of thing. But then there was another one that was sort of similar. And it was a guy like who could see things in art or whatever. He had this like studio style um, open space house with this kind of floating staircase thing. Uh, It's very vaguely there, but you're probably talking about the, the first one, right?
2: No, actually, I'm talking about one that if you had seen it, you would know the one I'm referring to, because it was exactly what you described, where there are people in the world that have a really high score, a really high rating. And if they upvote you or they downvote you in one of your posts or one of your interactions or even face-to-face interactions, a person, you know, everybody's going around with their phones and it shows people like, you know, you get in the elevator with somebody who has a really high score and you know they do because it's displayed on their little augmented reality information that you can see, Oh, this person is a 4.8 out of five. Oh my God. I hope that they upvote me because that'll give me like another 0.2 rating, uh, to my rating. And, and people are going around upvoting and downvoting people. And this this woman goes totally insane where she goes in this downward spiral of her score continually being, uh, you know, dropped down. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool episode. So, um, just a tangent on you know something that came to mind when you described that.
0: Yeah, it 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 sounds kind of amazing in a way, but also scary as hell. Like it would be nice to know who are the good people, who are the bad people, just <laughs> by seeing them, you know. But then it's like a, a self reinforcing, uh, self fulfilling prophecy, right? Is so, like in the in your example of the of that episode, this woman was getting downvoted, downvoted. Well, then she spiraled further and further down. And yeah. I don't know how you recover from something like that. Like if that was a real thing, you know?
2: Yeah. Like I'm sure you are probably having to go through counseling ever since being put in the Facebook gulag. <laughs> I didn't learn a thing. <laughs> well, no, I, I did. I did learn to
0: use proper uh, mechanic language.
2: I'm sure that that probably set you off into your own downward spiral that maybe resembles um, uh, uh, Arthur Arthur Fleck in the Joker. <laughs>
0: yeah there's a great meme of um joaquin phoenix in in her it says you know me entering the idea of the arena of politics 2008 and then today and he's you know the joker and he's wearing the same kind of red suit so it like works really well together i'll post that on the show notes page lessner.com slash 100 (laughs) um but uh you know we are actually getting to the point where we're going to start needing to wind this down so um does anyone have any uh final notes or discussion points they want to make before we get into final summary and review
1: Well, uh, we could talk a little bit about Sean Parker and his takedown of the music industry um, and whether or not he was doing something immoral or not by making all these file transfers available. I know back when we were around in 2000, I was one of those people that was on Napster. And then I think what LimeWire after that. But uh, it seemed like Sean, Sean Parker was very much proud of what he did to the music industry, seeing them as immoral. And I don't know. I think he makes a good point about saying, hey, do you want to own a Tower Records now? But in um, saying how he won as opposed to how they won. But, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on that that angle. It's a pretty good can of worms. It is. A, it's a, it's a little, little can. I don't know if anybody, we, we may not have
0: time. Yeah, I'll just say that, um, you know, as I don't think IP is a legitimate thing, uh, once your thing is out there, yeah, I mean, people can kind of do whatever they're going to do with it. I think that he actually broke a model that was, um, you know, the the leftists like to talk about exploitation. Um, I think that a lot of the music artists would only get a very small amount of the uh, proceeds from their sales as a result of being in this um, position of signing agreements that they weren't fully aware of the consequences of. And they were in a position, there's like an outscaled um, amount of information on the side of the you know, production companies versus these artists that they would sign. And so there would always be this um, friction between them. And uh, it seems like Napster kind of broke that model and then opened the door for a company like Apple to sell songs for a dollar each on iTunes and, and kind of blow up really big. I mean, it's just an innovation, I think. Um, and and for the most part, it's probably for the better, because uh, who would want to own a Tower Records? Do they even exist anymore? And I know there's the famous one in LA, but...
1: I think there's some in Japan still, but yeah
0: other than that i don't know but it is making a revival too like lps like uh, actual records with a needle um right. you know, it it's kind of become this niche you know like you know horse horse buggies and whips went away almost but there's still a few people out there making high quality stuff for for the niche the handsome market cabs. yeah the handsome cabs and and all that so you know and that's what the market uh provides you know um and that's a, a point that gene epstein made in his uh in both his debates with socialists, um, Baskar, uh, and, uh, Richard Wolf was, well, in, in your society, um, what would the majority, uh, why would the majority ever authorize a minority position or product or service to become available? They would always say no.
1: Right. Because yeah, you're always going to get outvoted because n- people aren't interested in that thing. But under capitalism, all you need is one person with a little bit of capital and an idea and they can make that thing.
0: And they can hope to find a market. And, and if it if they fail, then well, apparently not enough people wanted it or back to the advertising angle, knew about it. Yeah. So yeah, I think that but was anyway. that was a good point. Uh Miguel, you want to put a cherry on the top of that and then we'll get in a final summary
2: review? Oh that oh, uh, I just uh, I think it was uh, Sean Parker's character was was definitely an underrated uh, aspect of this movie. I think Justin Timberlake did a pretty awesome job. The character is just really entertaining this larger-than-life uh, Silicon Valley Playboy troublemaker that I think, looking back, it does seem like he really wounded the music industry powers that be. However, it does seem that they are still, they have a very strong, a very powerful stronghold with the entire IP machine. And um, even though there are a lot of underground you know, indie artists on SoundCloud these days, you've got all these all these SoundCloud rappers, and you've got all these indie musicians that still do their thing. Uh, the world of arts and culture is so curated by these very centralized powers that be in Hollywood and in uh, these very entrenched industries that depend on intellectual property regulation and uh, what, what what an Austrian economist would and, and other free market economists would call economic rent. So, so uh, I think that his presence was, he he added a cool, a cool presence to the movie, cool themes to the movie, where it was a little bit anti-establishment in a way. He was doing things to really build something that was challenging of the status quo.
0: Yeah, disruptive.
2: um, That now has been very much co-opted by the establishment.
0: Yeah, I'd oh, say yeah. that's for Sean and, and for Zuck. They were both looking to disrupt uh, and and were anti-establishment and, and Zuck seemed to be kind of anti-money uh, for a while there. Um, and, and this might be a good time to mention there's a couple of books that I'll post on the show notes page that are related to intellectual property. One is uh, Stephen Kinsella's Against Intellectual Property. He has really great arguments, uh, theoretical arguments as to why it's illegitimate. And then another book is called Against Intellectual Monopoly, which is a almost a... a economic history of various um effects of patents in industries and uh, whether they were positive or negative in their outcome um so i'll post links to both of those books they are both very very good and uh with that we should get into final summary review unless uh robert were you trying to chime in there before i so rudely cut you off
1: yeah but i've since forgotten any points
0: i was gonna make so uh let's do the deal okay boomer all right (laughs) why don't you uh Got the Alzheimer's going on. Uh, why don't you start us off, Robert? Give us the, uh, give Miguel the uh, the taste of how we do this. We'll score it a decimal point deep, uh, one to ten.
1: Okay. So the script turned in by Sorkin. Yeah, I, you know, this is the kind of script that I would have just eaten alive twenty years ago. This is like the super witty script that I just would have loved and, you know, wanted to have written myself, where all the characters are just so smart and so funny. And just have all kinds of wit and personality and that sort of thing but it, but now now that i'm older and a boomer apparently I, it just comes off as trying really hard like hyper realistic and unnatural but i still very entertaining but you definitely get the idea that yes this is a dramatic script no these people did not really say these things maybe some you know the 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 vibe of the conversation was conveyed but sorkin definitely punched up the dialogue to to 11 you know but you know uh so i i still enjoyed it i just didn't love it um i would i would watch another sorkin script movie though and i've always enjoyed fincher's directing i mean ever since like seven uh he's always done good work um eisenberg god he plays a real good asshole um i don't really get him as a charismatic like leading man type though i i didn't like him in zombie land i didn't like him in batman versus superman uh, maybe there's some roles that he's good at but i don't really get him i don't get the appeal of him um timberlake i thought was excellent as parker uh and parker i think he absolutely earned his his seven percent stake in the company i think he really added that Drive and the think big approach to what the um, what Facebook eventually came to be, which is this massive juggernaut of uh, entertainment and connection. Um, maybe it would have gotten there anyway, but he definitely helped it along. Um, let's see who else. Who else was in this thing? Uh, Spider Man. Spider Man. Uh, he was okay. He's he's pretty good. Uh, he seemed to be sort of like the alternate main character type guy um yeah yeah he was okay i don't know but uh the movie itself uh was strong i it was you definitely i watched it with the subtitles on i normally don't do that but there was a, a fair amount of time where the dialogue was quiet and like they said there's a lot of words there is it's, it's a very word heavy dialogue like daniel said but uh i've got to give this one for entertainment value and for i mean not, i don't know how accurate it all was essentially but i, I I would definitely watch this again. Um, I'm going to give us like a 7.5.
0: All right. Very good. Thank you for that. And and Miguel, uh, uh, we're going to pitch it down right down the uh, heart of the plate for you here.
2: Cool. Taking that. And uh, I would also put it somewhere in the high. Well, I would put it in the high sevens and basically for for convenience rounded up to an eight out of 10. Um, I think that it was a good movie. Very well acted. Uh, I happen to think that the script was pretty good, if not for some of that some of that hyperrealism, some of, some of that um, stuff that you could say uh, dialogue-wise kind of jumps the shark. Um, not not necessarily, though. Uh, other good great elements of the film, I think, were, I haven't even mentioned Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, which I think is probably a violation on my part of not having mentioned them them up until now. That I think that this was one of their first most impactful film scores together and they created such a such an interesting atmosphere throughout the film with their score uh, that was sort of at times was suspenseful sure and at other times was sort of eerie almost and I think that that really added to the film a lot and uh, in general I did find it pretty engaging entertaining and will probably go down as a pretty memorable film for its time, um, telling a pretty important or pretty iconic story, I think of, of one of the most powerful companies in our world now. And I really am fascinated by that those types of origin stories as I think most people are. So I, I think they did a pretty good job. I pretty much give it an eight.
0: All right. Very good. Well, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, I, I remember this movie um, probably more fondly from my first watching than this most recent one, similar to how I viewed Zombieland um, in theaters and then versus when we did it recently as an episode with uh, Rachel from Cannabis Heals Me. Um, and the Sorkinness really does come through. I, if I recall, Robert, is Sorkin involved with Molly's Game, that other movie that we did recently? Super dialogue heavy, really fast talking and kind of hard to follow the plot because it tries to twist over itself a couple of times.
1: Yeah, I want to say you're right about that. That, that. that was the first time we had done a Sorkin project. And this is the second. But I, I'm, I can't be 100% sure without looking it up.
0: Yeah, so I think it's one of the situations where there's so much dialogue and it's trying to be so witty that it kind of loses the... Uh, it's not as easy to follow the plot because there's so much content to kind of wade through. <laughs> but, you know, if you really break it down to the basics, um, this is really just a story of a guy who got an idea... From perhaps from somewhere else and then improved upon it and actually had the wherewithal to put it together, throw the blood, sweat and tears into it and uh, make it into a big thing. So I, I, I do like that story. I, I like the, um, it, it really describes the role of the entrepreneur. You know, it's somebody who's actually driving the thing forward, not just repetitively, repetitively doing the tasks. You know, um, the left likes to say that all value comes from labor. Well, what about the you know who's going to decide what needs to happen? Um, and another, you know, reference to the Epstein debate. Well, if if you have a democratic uh, working environment, then uh, you're going to be in meetings all day trying to make decisions. Everyone's got to make a decision,
2: right? Everyone's got to be involved. Uh, so you just be in ten hours of meetings. But hey, you know, yeah. um, sorry, I don't know if you were done there. I, I I thought of something that I think is also just to me just now noteworthy. Uh, In that it is a great story of entrepreneurship, a very iconic story of entrepreneurship and probably the type of story about entrepreneurship that is allowed to be told because there's a sense of moral ambiguity about it. And it gives the left the room to say, well, see, this is what entrepreneurs are. They're shady and they lie and they steal and they they hurt people. And that's how you become successful is by being unscrupulous and unethical and uh, manipulating people. And we don't really see a lot of movies or uh, positive stories of entrepreneurs who really are very ethical and admirable and you know, lead a good family life with lots of people, lots of loved ones. And you know, good family values, things like that. Like you'll see movies like the Steve Jobs movie where, you know, you, you you more of the popular entrepreneur stories are of entrepreneurs that have gotten big and wealthy and that were possibly uh unethical about it, as opposed to the ones, the many more, the vast majority of entrepreneurs that are good hearted, generally good people and that want to create wealth and want to do so in a good, honest way.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. Like yeah, a, just like the founder.
2: Yeah. What, what's that? Oh yeah. If the founder is another great example of that, where of course, you know, it's a, it appeals to both sides. It's the type of story that Hollywood allows because yeah, people will be fans of it if they're pro entrepreneurship or they're pro economic freedom. And they see, they like stories of enterprise and then the left will like it because they see it as a story of how capitalism bad. And, uh, so there's that kind of, it seems like we can only tell stories about entrepreneurship that are more morally ambiguous.
0: Well, just, just consider which of those two markets you describe is bigger.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's not a super captivating story when you just got some guy that goes back home to a happy wife and a happy family. And, you know, just, I don't know, maybe maybe, maybe there's a place for that type of thing. And I'm sure that there's still a story to be told. It does
1: remind me, though, in the movie, what was it that the, that the dean said? So Larry Summers, Harvard, they don't get jobs, they create jobs, mm-hmm. something like that. That's that's a that's a very entrepreneurial uh, motto or whatever for uh, any kind of uh, school. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it almost made me respect Larry Summers a little bit because <laughs> uh, he was kind of an asshole to them. But, you know, rightfully so. Of course, he was a treasury secretary who uh, in the 2008 bailouts kind of made that happen. So not not totally a good dude. But anyway, my score, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with a six, a six on this one. I, th- I think I would have rated it higher 10 years ago when it came out or nine years ago. But um, yeah, overall, still still worth watching. But it's, it's easy to get lost kind of in the in the dialogue, the pithiness of it all. But uh, anyway, we, we need to wind this one down. We've been going a little bit long. So, Miguel, thank you so much for being our guest. <laughs> And I hope you can stick around a little bit longer. We're going to do a little bit more content, especially for our Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is available for our Patreon supporters at lastnighters.com Patreon. Get in on that action, everyone. Also take advantage of the lowest prices of the year on a couple of things like Tom Woods Delivery Classroom, uh, Teachable, the uh, online course platform, or Bluehost and get your website hosting lowest price of the year at lastnighters.com slash Friday. This is episode 100 of the show. You can also find it on the Launchpad Media. And our guest, Miguel, you have a couple of websites. Is the main one going to be uh, mymapscoach.com?
2: Sure. That is my company website. And for my my coaching services, uh, there's information on there, free webinars that we do that are on really interesting business topics for all industries. I'm talking from small business owners to solopreneurs to someone who might be a C-level executive of a larger company or corporation to creatives, even Uh, all types of entrepreneurs. I believe that anybody who is out there seeking to innovate in the market in whatever way is an entrepreneur in their own right. And uh, I'm very proud to be a a business coach who also understands Austrian economics and uh, who has a context for, for how entrepreneurs of all kinds can overcome their Whatever challenges they're facing, whether it's uh, uh, sort of organizational leadership or it might be having a strong business plan, things of that nature. So mymapscoach.com is our website, and uh, and my other one with Air, which you mentioned earlier, is Amagi Entrepreneurs, and that's at Amagi dot group. Uh, so instead of dot com, it's dot group, and that's my Facebook group, which is free for for anybody who would consider themselves an entrepreneur in some form or fashion. And I think that uh, probably more people out there these days are entrepreneurs than they give themselves credit for, uh, or more entrepreneurial than they'll admit. So uh, I'm excited for, for that to be a growing community where we discuss all types of business and personal development topics, because I really come from the perspective that in order to create In order to lay the foundations for a voluntary, peaceful world, like my mission states, we have to be successful in our own lives and have clarity of purpose and create positive relationships in our personal lives and our professional lives and go out there and be productive and innovative and uh, create wealth through voluntary win-win partnerships. So, uh, that's really what my uh, group is all about. And I appreciate you being a part of it. I invite anybody to join by going to magi.group.
0: All right. Well, thanks again. I do enjoy being in the group and uh, we'll have links to that on our show notes page, com slash 100 and also to your uh, website and many of the uh, notes that we'll be posting down there related to our discussion tonight about the social network. And uh, Robert, I think next week we're going to go back down to Joker Town and talk with Shaheen, our man from Australia, about the Killing Joke, which is one of the uh, uh, one of the influences of the Joker movie or Joker by uh, played by Joaquin Phoenix, of course. So we'll get his perspective on that source material and then also on Joker the movie because he was originally going to be our guest, but then he fell ill, uh, even went into hospital. Um, down there in in uh, Australia but he has since recovered and so he'll be back with force and fire to talk about the killing joke uh, the next time we come back sick or not sick at least not anymore It'll be good. <laughs> killing
1: joke is a is an old classic comic book from the 80s and uh, yeah I understandably they redid it as an animation and I think it's kind of hit or miss uh, from what I understand they added some extra material for the movie and uh, I, I I've heard people talking about it. With some mixed results, um, so I'm, I'm interested to see it. Well, Shaheen's a- always an awesome guest, and uh, you know there's going to be plenty of uh, scintillating conversation, Eric Aaron, Aaron Sorkin style.
0: Absolutely, and uh, yeah, it's on HBO right now. So if you've got that, uh, you will be able to watch that one. And we will be back next week. So uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, check out the the deals page, and we're going to get into some Kathleen Turner overdrive just after this. So we'll say goodnight from last night, everyone. Thanks, guys. All right, we're going to continue the Actual Anarchy Podcast for just a few more minutes because there is a question that I've been wanting to bring up, but we've already been talking for so long, uh, and our show is is usually shorter than this, but uh, Miguel, you just, you got away with uh, with the words here. You, you got a lot to say, and I appreciate that. Um, on our, I believe our Kathleen Turner arrived last week after Castaway with Keith Knight of Don't Tread on Anyone, he mentioned that there's some evidence that Facebook or something similar to it was a government uh, DARPA program that may have been um, naturally kind of co-opted, like it was something that they were looking for in the environment and they found it and helped to kind of prop it up and grow it. Or perhaps it was a government program altogether to begin with. And uh, I just wonder if, if you've heard of anything like this, and if you would consider that to be um, one of the sort of key drivers as to why it has grown so big and become almost a near monopoly. There's been many attempts as Facebook has clamped down on content and people's speech to create alternatives, and none of them seem to be taking off. Uh, there's some secret sauce that is preventing it. And I uh, just wanted to see what you uh, what your thoughts are, and then we'll go
2: to Robert. So that's a great question. And I think that even though I see big companies, big successful companies as for the most part, I give them the benefit of the doubt that, well, they got to their position because they created wealth and they solved a problem in the market. I know that the reality is that many of the world's biggest companies have also gotten to where they are thanks to economic rent and rent-seeking behavior. And it's just kind of an economic term for crony capitalism and utilizing different regulatory. Uh, mechanisms and unfair market advantages against their competition and i could very well believe that um that the deep state and the 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 leviathan uh government would absolutely want to see platforms like facebook emerge that they don't have to build themselves though that they can conveniently manipulate and uh, Taken to their own control by various means, uh, to for for the sake of of propaganda. Um, I think that uh, it's it really can't be denied that our Leviathan state depends on a massive system of propaganda from from the uh, sort of the education system, uh, or you could say the compulsory schooling system, to the mainstream media, to all other facets of our lives to create this very curated, uh, somewhat confining environment. And so I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say, I don't even, based on on whatever evidence that this person is supposedly putting forth about a Dharma whatever program. I haven't seen that. Mm, I don't have any knowledge on that. Uh, And I, I wouldn't, without any significant research, make any claims about CIA involvement or anything like that, though, I mean, that's the sort of thing that I could possibly believe. Right. That's yeah. Most that I could say. <laughs> All right. Well,
0: uh, we'll go to Robert and and Robert, I'll, I'll just tack this on to the question. Um, do you think that a movie like this one, the social network gets presented as perhaps a history defining narrative? So that this, because it's a popular movie and people have seen it, this is the story that sticks in their heads about how this came to be. So even when they're presented with evidence, like perhaps the, um, the thing that Keith was telling us about, and I'll, I'll try to get some uh, specific supporting documentation on that. Um, but just your take on, I guess, both parts, you know, if, if it is such a, uh, the case, then would a movie like this sort of be used as cover almost like intellectual cover or narrative cover uh, to provide a, a story that's plausible. That is, um, you know, not, not necessarily completely accurate.
1: Yeah. I don't know if the, the story of Facebook being a DARPA project was threatening to get out there and so then they you know drummed up this this movie based on this book in order to provide cover for it. I, maybe it's more of a happy accident if any of that is to be believed. I think I think the evidence main evidence that Keith was pointing out was that the DARPA project and Facebook, the DARPA project ended and Facebook was launched on the exact same day as I recall, I think you said, which could be a happy coincidence, which could be related. I don't know. I tend to put government into the evil, violent type, not, not so much the great innovator type. I don't think that they're great entrepreneurs. I don't think that they're people that have the incentive to go out and create these new products that people will want to use. But they are really good at seeing what people like and infiltrating that. And uh, any great big database full of a whole bunch of personal information about people, I think they would be licking their chops at something like that. They'd be data mining the shit out of that. Um, That's what the NSA basically does. And so this is just like another arm of that, Um, whether Facebook is even aware or cooperates in it or not. I mean, uh, you know, government also has the ability beyond perverse incentives to make life very difficult. Or make life easier for people when they cooperate or not cooperate with them. So I could see, you know, something like the deep state leaning kind of heavily on the the top brass at Facebook and being like, hey, you can play ball with us and things can go easy for you, or you can fight us and we can make things very difficult for you. And you know, I, I think generally people choose to play ball. I mean, they've got a lot to lose at this point, right? I mean, even though they're billionaires and they got this kind of fuck you attitude, or at least they used to back when they didn't have anything to lose. And now when they got everything to lose, maybe they're more like to play ball because they've built this great thing and they don't want to see it destroyed. What I think is hilarious, though, I mean, you did bring up a little bit earlier about how Facebook is sort of this virtual monopoly. I still, I still, the economist in me refuses to accept that, that word for this, the situation. Um... Uh, It can't possibly be a a, a monopoly. Um, There are so many different social networking sites. And yeah, they, they aren't as big as Facebook. But every time Facebook creates, you know, does some terrible decision, they are driving people away from Facebook. And it has gotten more and more uncool. And eventually, like every other company in history, almost, it will fall into the dustbin of history. And people will go back. Oh, yeah, you remember when Facebook was this big thing? So, you know, and then we'll be on to the 50 other new things that haven't even been invented yet or that the, that the seven-year-olds are all doing. And then that'll be the next thing. I mean, who knows? So I, that's why I think it's hilarious when they, they're talking about like trust busting, you know, like breaking up Facebook. It's like, what what would you break it into? It's, it's a website. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> Different arms of Facebook? I, I don't even know what they're even talking
0: about. I don't even know if they could understand. Yeah, it they're going to reintroduce segregation that's
2: right (laughs) probably talking about all the companies that facebook has acquired like instagram and and oculus and uh snapchat Snapchat. is or
0: whatsapp whatsapp that sounds right yeah i i I, i'm almost a boomer now i don't know what half of these things are anymore but i use (laughs) facebook just to interact with people and What's
1: apps- what they're basically complaining about is the network effect, right? I mean, that's what governments complaining about—that everybody's on these things, so it's sort of a virtual monopoly because everybody want. If you want to participate, you need to be on these things. But right. there's no way it's an actual monopoly. There are any. You could start a Facebook tomorrow if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, so- without that network effect, it's not really uh, very useful. But but you're right. It, it will eventually piss off enough people, and and something will come about. I mean, there's always innovation, creative destruction. That's kind of how the market works. Even with the distortions and cronyism and regulations that uh, attempt to impede it. That's right. That's right. Well, we should probably end this here because we're even longer than we would uh, normally go <laughs> oh, on even this show. Uh, but this is episode 157 of the show. We'll have show notes and more uh, at slash 157. You'll have links to Miguel's site, also the Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals, uh, links to our Patreon and all that. And uh, we'll be back next week with Shaheen talking about the Joker in the killing joke. And that'll be a lot of fun. So um, I hope you guys had a uh, good holiday break and we'll be back at it uh, next week. So we'll see you then. Maximum freedom, everyone.
2: Thanks, Miguel. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed.